My name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I hope that you will be blessed on this journey that we call the Christian life by these few minutes that we spend together. I am really excited about what I have to share with you today. Uh, to be honest, in the days leading up to this week's podcast, I wasn't sure what I wanted to share, and then God led me to today's topic, which is a movie review of the 1979 classic Christian movie by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Johnny. Now, for those who may not know, Johnny Erickson Tata is an author, a radio host, and a disability advocate from a biblical perspective. She's married to Ken Tata since 1982, and although they have no children, they have ministered to countless disabled children through their Wheels for the World ministry and also their Johnny and Friends ministry and the camps thereof. And I'm sure that Johnny has no idea the impact that she had on my life with her ministry. I probably first watched this show in the 1980s or the early 1990s and was profoundly impacted by it. This was still within the time frame that I was struggling with my own disability, and so I think a lot of this review is going to be reflecting on my own story in relation to the events that have happened in Johnny's. And so I hope that you'll stay tuned and be prepared for that in just a little while. But first, I want to talk to you about what is going on. Well, we start in a world that I don't usually spend a lot of time in, and that is the world of Hollywood celebrity because this past week, uh, we said goodbye to a legend, Tony Dow, who played Wally on the TV show Leave It to Beaver. He was Wally Cleaver in Leave It to Beaver. Wally, why are you putting that goop on your hair? It's not goop. It's Groomwell for the fastidious man. Tony Dow playing Big Brother Wally, the star athlete, the Boy Scout in the 50s and 60s. Tonight, Dow's family saying the actor has died. He had shared his cancer diagnosis earlier this year. Born in California in 1945, thrust into stardom at just 12 years old. Learning he'd gotten the role of Wally over a hamburger. Dow growing up with Wally on TV, shaving for the first time. What do you do that for? Well, I don't know, but you're supposed to. Getting his license. He would go on to star in other TV shows like Lassie in 1968. Tonight, his co-star Jerry Mathers, who played his brother Beaver, writing, Tony was not only my brother on TV, but in many ways in life as well. Tony was always the kindest, most generous, gentle, loving, sincere, and humble man. And it was my honor and privilege to be able to share memories together with him for 65 years. This resonated with me because I grew up watching Leave it to Beaver. Back in the days before cable and satellite TV were so huge and every genre of television show had its own channel, our local Fox News channel would play repeats of classic TV shows, especially in the summer. And Leave it to Beaver was one of those. I can remember many late mornings or early afternoons watching Leave it to Beaver and watching Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow on the TV screen. And it's interesting to note that even though they only had six seasons of episodes, they did so many episodes back in that day that they still did 234 episodes in total of the show Leave it to Beaver. Because back then they would basically do a new show for every week of the school year and only take the summer months off. So they would do between 30 and 34 episodes a year as opposed to today when they do 20 to 24 episodes. So that kind of changes the landscape of television and streaming has condensed it even more with streaming shows being 10 to 13 episodes a season. So it's just interesting how TV has changed through the years. But Leave it to Beaver is a show that I always resonated with. I felt like it was in an era where there was always a moral and the parents 
uh, were to be taken seriously. I think that's something that I really appreciated about Leave it to Beaver. And I also appreciated the way that Jerry Mathers and Tony Dow leaned into their roles. You know, some people might have regretted being typecast, and I'm sure there was a little bit of frustration from that because there may have been some other things they wanted to do. But I really appreciate the way that, that they appreciated their show and carried it with honor. You know, in the years that followed Leave it to Beaver being on the air, it never went off the air fully. Um, even today, it is still on on certain cable channels. And so you're talking about an over 60-year legacy, uh, and it's just so amazing to think about that in terms of a TV show. It's also interesting to know in an interview that I watched in preparation for this podcast, I learned from Jerry Mathers that this was basically one of the first sitcoms to feature children in the lead roles. Uh, most television programming back in that time was crime dramas and other things suited for adults. But this was one of the few shows that was at the time done from a child's perspective. And I feel like we've kind of reverted back to that in the last decade or so where the majority of television programs focus on adult characters and as such adult content. So I just feel like Leave it to Beaver was at a time of innocence. I know that there is no such thing in a certain way as the good old days because every day had its troubles, but I felt like there was really an escape to be found in Leave it to Beaver. And the things that I have watched of Tony Dow in his later years um, seem to be that he was a very loving and uh, consistent man to those around him and... I've only heard good things, so that's an exciting legacy to have. I do not know if Tony trusted the Lord Jesus as his Savior, but a death like this, once again, puts into perspective the brevity of life. Tony Dow, 77 years old, has now passed on, and Jerry Mathers is the only living cast member that was main cast for Leave it to Beaver. As we continue on today, I want to talk about some accusations from The View about Turning Point USA's association with neo-Nazis. Now, to give you some context, I have used some Charlie Kirk clips on this podcast before. I think he's a solid conservative and a believer in the Lord Jesus, and so I really appreciate a lot of his content. And so that will give you context to what I'm about to share today. Now we begin with a shocking apology just a short time ago from the ladies of The View to Turning Point USA. A war of words broke out after the conservative group was rallying the next generation of voters at its youth summit in Tampa, Florida this weekend. And the liberal panel just couldn't help themselves. The group sent a scathing cease and desist letter after hosts on The View suggested that Turning Point had embraced neo-Nazis who showed up outside the event. Watch. This Turning Point <laughs> conference, neo-Nazis were in the front of turning out there in front of the conference uh, with anti-Semitic um, slurs and, um, you know, the Nazi swastika. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's important that every single person that attended that Turning Point, every Republican speak up yeah. against the swastikas, against yeah, the disgusting. Nazi uh, flags that were waved. You let them in. President, open your you basket. let them in and you knew what they were. Right. So you are complicit. I want to make a quick clarification about the neo-Nazis at the Turning point event. They were outside protesters. My point was more metaphorical. That you, you embraced them at your thing, I felt. Mm. We'll fast forward to this morning. The host apologized before quickly cutting to commercial. Watch. Well, on Monday, we talked about the fact that there were openly neo-Nazi demonstrators outside the Florida Student Action Summit of the Turning Point USA group. We want to make clear that these demonstra demonstrators were gathered outside the event and that they were not invited or endorsed by Turning Point USA. A Turning Point USA spokesman said the group 
quote, 100% condemns those ideologies and said Turning Point USA Security tried to remove the neo-Nazis from the area but could not because they were on public property. Also, Turning Point USA wanted to clarify, uh, wanted us to clarify that this was a Turning Point USA summit and not a Republican Party event. So we apologize for anything we said that may have been unclear on these points. Way to botch the delivery, first and foremost. <laughs> uh, Sean, something that struck me in the cease and desist letter uh, was the sentence that specifically the view hosts insidiously and cavalierly stated that TPUSA let the neo-Nazis into its event, metaphorically embraced them, and it went on. Insidiously yeah. and cavalierly. And I felt that perfectly summed up exactly what those women were saying, which is something so deeply toxic and also so lightly thrown out there. And so false. I mean, these were protesters outside of the event, right? They couldn't get in. These were not neo-Nazis inside of Turning Point USA. They were protesting outside on public grounds, and uh, Turning Point tried to remove them. But listen, I th these people have been roundly criticized and, 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 uh, and shamed by the right. But you look at the little Marxists and communists that you know, rally in the streets and protest and burn things. We condemn them, but the left never condemns them. And if you, I mean, you had Joy Behar talking about um, this anti-Semitism. You guys have heard of the, the boycott, sanction, and divest movement, the BDS movement, which is uh, a Democrat movement to sanction Israel, an anti-Jewish movement. And just we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of the shooting on the baseball field um, was Steve Scalise. Mm -hmm. That was a Bernie Sanders supporter. None of us said this is Bernie Sanders' fault when you had that shooter. We realized that there are crazy people who do crazy things. We don't sell you a whole party over it. But that's exactly what they try to do to us. That's such a great point, Kennedy. And mm. also the fact that these these neo-Nazi demonstrators were on this public property, specifically Turning Point tried to remove them. Mm. So the fact that that association was made in such in, in such a chasm of geography, let alone ideology, um, and it really is a falsehood, one upon the other layer that these women put forth, the, the official ties to the GOP. It's like there's no end to the falsehoods that they put out there. Or maybe there is, because when people like Nick Salmon and Kyle Rittenhouse start suing, uh, you know, these major news organizations for destroying their reputations, maybe some of the people who put forth these narratives will think about it before it escapes their mouths. And, you know, it's like, we all know that. We all know there are lines that you can't cross when you are talking about a story, when you're analyzing a story, when you're angry about something. You still have to stay within the bounds of what happened factually. And I think what happened there was they didn't watch the tape. They didn't even do any investigation. They were just blathering about what happened. And I don't think, you know, if this did go to trial, saying to a judge, well, it was just it was more of a metaphor. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if that reaches the legal threshold of excusing uh, what you said that might do reputational damage. The first thing I want to point out here is there, there's just this chief irony about this story in the fact that these neo-Nazi individuals were protesting the Turning Point USA event. They were not in favor of it. They wanted to dissuade TPUSA from sharing its conservative views with America and specifically America's youth because these people who espouse liberal ideologies, they know that if they can get a hold of the youth of the country, then they can get a good tailhold in winning. And so that's what these protesters were trying to do. And so then the ladies of The View decide to stir up a controversy by saying that TPUSA was welcoming to the Nazis. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, as was noted in this clip, they didn't look to study the facts before they posted. They went off half-cocked with their theories about why these people would be there, and they ended up being dead wrong. Then, when they are given a cease and desist letter, they give a half-hearted apology at the end of their show the following day. The reason I say this is half-hearted is because it did not come from Joy Behar or Whoopi Goldberg, who were the perpetrators. This clip actually goes further to talk about the fact that Whoopi Goldberg got in trouble a few months ago when she tried to say that the Holocaust was not about race. It was just about man-hating man, 
which it's interesting that she would put it that way because that's basically what racism is. But for what, but whatever the case may be, she was inaccurate in her statements and was given a two week suspension for it. And this just reminds us that we need to be careful about what we share. A case in point is actually the story that I just shared, which was the one about Tony Dow's death because on July 26th, it started to be reported on national news outlets that Tony Dow had died. And so I had actually posted on my Facebook page that I was sad that Tony had passed away. And then a few hours later, it was reported that Tony was actually still alive. And he did indeed pass away about 24 hours later on July 27th. But all that to say, we just need to be very careful that we are reporting the truth, that we are being accurate, and that we are being fair. Because there are things that people do wrong, there are things they need to be held accountable for, but make sure you get your facts right before you report them. It seems like today, especially in the 24-hour news cycle in which we live, that the goal is to get the news out as quickly as possible with little regard to whether it is accurate. So that is something for us all to be aware of. And the biblical application is, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and a shame to him. And that is from the Proverbs. Before we go on to our main segment and review the movie Johnny, I wanted to share with you some clips from a new podcast put out by The Daily Wire, hosted by Michael Knowles, called The Choosing Life Podcast. And to launch this podcast, they are releasing full interviews that they did for their documentary, Choosing Death, which deals with the impact of Roe versus Wade on America, and of course on the culture of life that America should have. And we may review that on a future episode, but I was just really struck by the testimony of Claire Caldwell regarding abortion and the fact that she learned at 21 that she survived an attempted abortion not once, but twice. In fact, she is a twin. Her twin was aborted. And so I just want to share with you a couple different parts of this conversation. The first one deals with the idea of abortion being pro-women and feminist and being women's health care and empowerment. What would you say to the pro-choice person who, and I think maybe we you address two different people. First, the, the pro-choice person person who says, oh, well, I'm a feminist and I support, you know, women's rights and I support women's access to healthcare. Uh, and you know, I would, I would never tell a woman what to do with her body. Hi, I I think I would just ask a a pro-choice feminist who, who cares about women's rights. Um, what, what were mine, you know, as, as a woman, as a unborn woman in the womb, who's, who's, uh, had had no rights, had nobody speaking on my behalf, um, could have very well been dismembered um, in the name of women's rights, in the name of choice. I mean, what what were my rights? Um, because I I think that in order to empower women, in order to uplift women, um, as as we both want to do, that it's not telling women that that she's not strong enough to be a mother, that she's not capable of being a mother. It's actually telling a woman that she can, she is strong enough. She is worthy. She is worthy of walking alongside of, and that she is capable of being a mother. That is women's empowerment to me. So in response to this first clip, it deals with the typical argument for abortion, which is that abortion is about women's health. It's about women's empowerment. It's about women being the best self they can be. And this scenario plays out a lot where people will say that a woman is actually a hero 
for knowing that they can't take care of a baby and deciding to have an abortion so that they can live their best life. However, if the shoe was placed on the other foot and a guy said after his girlfriend or his wife decided to have a baby that he was renouncing anything to do with the baby because he wanted to live his best life, he would be considered a deadbeat dad and someone that the law would chase around for child support if the woman made a decision on her own to keep the baby. Now, I 100% believe that a man should take care of whatever babies he creates, whether or not he ends up married to the person that he made the baby with is secondary to the fact that he owes that child his support. So please don't get me wrong. I just think that it is a double standard that a man can be called on the carpet for child support if the woman has a baby, but on the other side of the issue, if a woman chooses not to have a baby, She's a hero, but the man has no say on whether that baby can be born, even if he wants to take care of that baby. This next clip from the same interview is Claire talking about answers to the question of what about abuse or poverty or any number of other reasons that people may give why abortion is acceptable. And I share this today out of a deep personal grief due to a conversation I had recently with a friend on this issue. I'd like to pinpoint a couple of things in, in that story you just shared, you know, a lot of pro-choice advocates say, Oh, well, if you don't abort all these unwanted pregnancies, all these unwanted children, they'll just flood the foster care system or orphanages. Can you maybe address some of those arguments, uh, just with, you know, your, your own life story. I don't think that death is the answer to, to poverty or to any, any argument we can make about how, how hard or difficult or unfortunate the life of a child may be. Um, I mean, gosh, what kind of, what kind of place have we gotten to where we, we think that death is a better alternative than actually making a difference, being people that can, can adopt and foster and walk alongside people who are and give to ministries that are making a difference in these children's lives. That argument could, could go for me as well. You know, what about the disabled child? Wouldn't their life be so incredibly hard? Well, I I can tell you that I was born with, um, with dislocated hip and club feet. I had body casts until I was two years old. I wasn't nurtured as a very young infant in the hospital um, because I hadn't gone home to my parents. I wasn't able to be nurtured in a quote unquote normal way because I had all these casts on my body. I have um, visited the children's crippled hospital all my life. My feet are still a little bit turned. I still have pain. I'm still um, what people who argue for abortion for babies who are disabled. I I am what they're talking about to a certain degree. And I am thankful for my life, regardless of disability, regardless of hardship. I would rather live than die. I would rather live than be dismembered in my birth mother's womb. And so who are we to say that a, that a child who might have difficulty, I mean, we all have difficulty. Who are we to say that their life doesn't have meaning, that their life doesn't have value, that we should throw them in the dumpster with the rest of the baby parts? Who are we to say that? Now, it's one thing to step back and from a clinical perspective or from an impersonal perspective, say that a woman who is raped should have the opportunity and the option to end her baby's life. But how can you stand in front of someone who was the product of rape and say you should have been aborted? Your life doesn't matter. How can you stand in front of someone who was aborted and say, in fact, your life 
did not matter because the choice was made to abort you. Now, specifically in this case, there was pressure by the parent to abort. Her mother was a 13 year old girl and I don't remember all of the circumstances of the conception, but I know there was a lot of pressure from her family to abort and they took their child to abort another child. And so we need to make sure that we are aware and being honest about what abortion really is. And a lot of times there is coercion on the edges of abortion. And the net, the next thing is thinking about this whole foster care thing. This whole idea that if the foster care system is broken, that devalues the baby to the point where you are allowed and in fact encouraged to kill it. My friends, my whole life has been a testimony to the fact that the struggles that I have gone through have made me a better person. So this idea that struggle or lack of ideal circumstances is a reason not to exist is a horribly off base one. And I especially am grieved that there are people who are raised in Christian homes who are supposed to have a biblical worldview who espouse this. This makes me so upset. There are very few things that I won't say agree to disagree on. Most of the time I can just drop a subject and say agree to disagree. Let's move on. But the issue of the sanctity of human life does not happen to be one of those issues. The issue of the sanctity of human life is so very important to me that I will talk about it, I will discuss it, I will debate it until the day I die. Because if we are a society that forgets the sanctity of human life, then we are a society gone under. It's as simple as that. The thing is, a lot of these people screaming for their bodily autonomy and the ability to abort their child do not realize that they only have bodily autonomy because their parents chose life for them based on their logic. So if if bodily autonomy only comes because another person says that I am worthy of it, then it doesn't mean anything. But the Bible tells us that our worth comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. Nothing more and nothing less. Now it is my privilege to give you a review of the movie Johnny. This movie came out in 1979, actually four days after I was born. And it's really the providence of God in my life because my parents didn't realize at the time that this movie came out how important it would be to my life because they didn't realize that my struggles at birth would lead to permanent disability. They didn't find that out until I was one or two years old. And so this movie that I probably saw, as I said earlier, in the late 80s, early 90s, really had an impact on my life and showed me for the first time that God can use someone in spite of or perhaps because of their disabilities. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be reviewing it for you today. Before we begin that, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And our quote of the day doesn't come from the movie itself, but it does come from the writings of Johnny. And a big theme of her story is triumph over suffering. So I think that this quote encapsulates that for her, and I really resonate with it as well. The quote says, He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer 
is embrace. And that is Johnny Erickson Tata in her book, A Place of Healing, wrestling with the mysteries of suffering, pain, and God's sovereignty. And I really like this because one of my biggest struggles as I've lived out my Christian life, other than struggling with pain itself, is struggling with people who think that pain is something to be shunned, who think that if I believe God enough that my suffering can be over, um, when in fact what God has taught me through the years is that my suffering is what has made me the man that he wanted me to be and that I am a better man for having been in this wheelchair than I would be without it. Uh, my wheelchair really keeps me close to God uh, because each morning when I wait for my brother to come in uh, to get me out of bed, I'm reminded of how much I need others to succeed. And that's really something that comes clearly through in this movie, Johnny. And I will get into more of that with you in just a few moments. daughter's spinal column. Actually, the cord is severed. In other words, she's broken her neck. Bullet! 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 I can't move. Hold on. I'm here. Vicky, if you leave me, I'll die. I know it. Cry, honey. You let your feelings. I can't cry. There's nobody around to blow my nose and mop up. I'm here. You... We'll never use these fingers to comb your hair or to put on your own lipstick or to drive a car. Never. Happy birthday. <laughs> Nickel for your thoughts. Old times are really old. You can grow up together and still grow apart. I'll never change the way I feel. From the best-selling book, now comes the film, Johnny. A life rebuilt on shattered dreams, Johnny Erickson plays herself in this warm and personal human drama. Johnny, a unique film about tragedy and faith, a story you will never forget. Thanks, I had a really great time. Johnny, a movie about love. Johnny Erickson plays herself in this warm and personal human drama. From Worldwide Pictures, Johnny. So there you have the trailer for the film Johnny. And my initial thoughts as I was re-watching this for the first time in probably 30 years at least was that this was a very well-done movie, especially for 1979. Now, as I have watched the Christian film market grow as a content provider, I have noticed that it has increased in quality. But I have to say that this film, although it was produced 43 years ago, was extremely high in film quality. And... I'm just kind of blown away by that because there are many films in the modern day Christian film catalog, so to speak, that I don't think rise to this level of production value. Now I will say right off the bat that I think one of the things that lends itself to making this a great film is the fact that it's based on a true story. When you have a true compelling story to tell and you tell it with, the emotion that we see here, it is a blessing. 
and it was truly a blessing to see Johnny play herself in this film. And, of course, she's accomplished a lot since this film was aired. I think when this film was produced, she was only 28 or 29, so she has lived over half of her life since this film's release. So she's accomplished even more than what was chronicled in this film, but it really resonated highly with me. It starts out with her riding horseback. They don't say who was the young double of Johnny, but they definitely had someone double her because they showed her horseback riding in the beginning of the film and then, of course, going with her sister to the beach and diving into the Chesapeake Bay into shallow water and breaking her neck. And it's really interesting, early on in the film, you see that her sister realizes that she's not coming out of the water because she was bit by a crab. And I actually saw an interview with Johnny that I watched after I watched the film where she said, if my sister hadn't been bit by that crab, who knows where I would be today. And I think about that whenever I eat crab legs. So she's able to incorporate a little humor there. But as the film unfolds, we see her being rushed to the hospital and, you know, her initial thought is she doesn't know anything about paralysis or how permanent it can be. So she's just hoping for the numbness to wear off. Um, and so then they, they show the devastation that she has when they're cutting off her hair, which she had just apparently dyed or bleached the night before. And then of course they cut off her swimsuit and you see it laying in a heap on the floor as she's being rushed into surgery. So all these traumatic things are happening to her in a short order of time. And then the film fast forwards three weeks and she's still with them and she is starting the beginnings of coming to grips with the fact that she will not be able to assume life as normal. Now, of course, um, as the time passes, she's still holding out hope that she can walk she starts to feel tingling in her hands and she initially thinks, well, that's my ability coming back to me. And as the film unfolds, you just see her going through uh, trial after trial. She has a couple romantic relationships that are referred to in this film. Of course, this was before she met her husband, uh, Ken Tata. So he's not mentioned here, but there's a couple other boyfriends. And the first one is kind of like I'm trying to stick by you, um, but you're you're so negative and caught up in what you're struggling with that we can't make it work. And so the first one, she kind of pushes aside because of her disability and her struggles. And then and the second gentleman uh, wants to be with her, but then becomes convinced that she can be healed if she trusts God enough. And there's a really... Um, uh, pivotal scene where they're praying in the church for her healing, believing that God will heal her. And then when God doesn't, they have to deal with the aftermath of that. And, you know, I, I can tell you that so many of these scenes feel ripped from my life. I always tell people that I am grateful to not have been able to walk and then be paralyzed. I would much rather be in my current situation where I never knew what it was like to walk than to have to be a walker and then uh, figure out how to live as someone who can't. I can't imagine that struggle. But it kind of goes back to something we've talked about before on this podcast, which is that God gives you the grace to live the life that he has for you. He doesn't give you someone else's grace. And so we see that relationship basically disintegrate on the basis of God didn't answer the prayers that we wanted him to answer. And so it must not be his will for us to be together. And I have, I have felt both sides of that relationship pendulum to a degree in the sense that I've had people who have pulled away from me because I'm disabled and I have had people who have prayed for me to be healed and told me they know how I can be healed and basically said that I'm not healed because I don't have enough faith. Neither of these things are true, 
God is good, even though I'm still in a wheelchair, and he has been a great provider. So you have that, and then you also have back when she was in the hospital, she's struggling to make sense of everything, and she says, I just want to die. And she actually at one point says to her friend, please slip my wrists, I won't feel a thing, I'm paralyzed, just slip my wrists so it can be the end. And on this topic, I will just say I have been there. I have been suicidal. I've told my story on this podcast before about how when my little brother passed away, I did not understand why God would take my little brother but leave me because I was the one that was completely completely useless. He was healthy. He had a future, but I, in my own mind, did not. So we have all of these things in Johnny's life which I have experienced. We've had the suicidal thoughts. We had the relationships gone awry or the relationship difficulties, which I have most certainly experienced, uh, both on a platonic and a romantic level, in the sense that I have seen people pull away from me because of things that they did not understand, and that hurts. Uh, But we also see, on the flip side, how Johnny begins to allow God to permeate her life with his grace. And I really appreciate that. It'd be really difficult for me to share all of what Johnny has done in my life without even knowing it. But I I recall my parents getting me a Johnny's Kids tape and that being something that I play nonstop on my tape recorder. I recall being in a book club where Johnny would send uh, me a book. I don't know if it was every month or every other month or just a few times a year, but I remember being in that and then getting the chance to see Johnny in person and having her autograph a book for me. And I remember thinking as a little kid that she should know who I am because she sends me books all the time. But that's not the reality. Because there was no possible way for her to know everyone that she impacted in this way. From a relationship standpoint, and from a from a being angry at God about your disability standpoint, I highly, highly resonate with... Johnny, and there's a pivotal point when she is in the hospital after she's asked her friend to help her die, and her friend has said, no, it's a sin, I can't do that for you, Johnny. She says, God, if you will not let me die, show me how to live. And that is really a point where I had to come to um, as I was dealing with my own struggle, uh, because that year after my brother passed away was one of the worst years of my life. Because, as I said, I had been struggling with my identity in the eight years or so leading up to that, and this just put me over the edge. Like, God, with all the other crappy things that you have allowed into my life, how could you take my brother? And... I didn't say those words, but I definitely had a similar experience. God, if you want me here, you must have a reason. So I'm going to surrender to that reason. And I made that surrender in June of 1993. And I can remember it so vividly. Not knowing at that time about the jail ministry I would be in or about speaking for him, I only knew that I needed to quit fighting God and allow him to work. 
And so I like the way that they show the slow progression of things and, and the way that they show all of the dilemmas she went through, like her fight for survival physically, and then her fight for survival mentally and spiritually. And then once she survived, when she's there, the people that God brought into her life to show her God's love, her friend, um, Diana sticks out, uh, because Diana even took time off of work to volunteer at the hospital to help Johnny. She's the one who said, I can't kill you because it's a sin. Then you had her sister who, who took her in after the accident and cared for her. Uh, you had her father who encouraged her artwork and actually set up an exhibit for her to sell her out artwork. And, you know, as she's growing in her faith, then she gets more opportunities to share Christ. And it's really a pivotal moment in the film uh, where she tells a wounded Marine, I would rather be in this chair and walking with Christ than to be able to stand up and be without him. And that really moved me greatly. And I just think about all the times that I have shared a similar testimony. And even though when I started listening to the Johnny's kids tape, I was still struggling with my identity and struggling with who God made me. I know that it was a, pivotal step in the right direction to have me see the influence of Johnny and see that, that she was making a difference, not just in spite of her disability, but perhaps because of it. If she was not disabled on that day, Johnny's friends would not exist. If she was not a disability advocate from the position of being in a wheelchair, I don't think wheels for the world exists. I don't think she's speaking, you know, 40 times a year at conferences. I don't think she is doing Johnny's kids. Um, so that really helped me to see that if she can go through that trial and still glorify God, so can I. If I had any negative things to say about the movie, I would say that it does move a little bit slow. Um, it's definitely dated because it was in the 70s. So for some people, they might look at it and they might just say, hey man, this is an old-fashioned movie. Why would I waste my time on it? But again, the truths that Johnny learned and that you get to learn, that that I get to learn, that we get to learn alongside her are worth the journey. And so I really want to encourage you to take the time to watch this film. Um, it's available on Amazon um, Prime, and it's also available free on YouTube. I don't know how long it will be up there, uh, but I would definitely take advantage of it while it's there. And the film wraps up with Johnny beginning to get speaking opportunities to share her story she starts out in a packed local church and then she goes to, I think, some kind of school for the disabled because she's speaking in a gym. And then finally that sequence of her speaking ends with her speaking at a Billy Graham rally. So it was just very uplifting for me. Um, really redoubled my efforts to continue to speak for the Lord Jesus. I do have a disability. I do struggle on a day-to-day -day basis at times with my disability. But that's why I really liked what um, Johnny had to say in another video that I watched where she said, a lot of people look at me and they say I have it all together. But the reality is that 75% of the time I wake up and I say to the Lord, I can't handle this. I don't have the strength to handle another day in a wheelchair. But you do, Lord, so give me that strength. And she said, God is always faithful. And often before that caregiver comes in to get her out of bed, she is endowed by a strength that she herself does not possess to be a cheerful 
and happy, joyful exhibitor of the love of Jesus. And that's what we all should aspire to. I will, as I'm ending this review, give a little bit of warning that you should probably reserve this movie for those in their mid-teens and above just because of the subject matter. They reenact her jumping into the lake and breaking her neck. So I remember that being quite traumatic the first time I watched it. They show her being shaved as they're preparing her for surgery. And they show some nightmares that she had. So please be aware of those things. But overall, I would give this a four out of five stars. And I would encourage you to watch it with your family and to discuss the topics. I guess if I were to talk about any other negatives, uh, I think there was actually more um, kissing and... uh, public displays of affection than I would think for a movie like this. Um, I understand they were sharing the story of her relationships throughout the course of her life. Um, but that would just be one thing that I would be aware of. Uh, there is smoking, um, by a character in the rehab facility. So that's another thing to be aware of. And there's also a blatant display of racism by one of the nurses who works at the rehab facility. So those are just some things to be aware of as you're considering who should watch this movie with you. The fact that this film held up after 43 years and about 30 years after I watched it, the fact that it still moved me the way it did is a testament to the high quality of movie making that the Billy Graham Evangelical Association did. And so I applaud them on this movie. And also make sure that you look into the other things that Johnny has done with her ministry. She is so talented and and so multifaceted that you will be encouraged if you dig more into her as a person. Well, that's about all I have time for on this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed this review of the classic film Johnny, and I hope that you will watch it. I think you'll find it life-changing and encouraging. Until next week, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 